0: You know, we're going to um, continue on in John. And that's good because pretty soon we're going to be through John. And uh, uh pastor has been taking us through a great study uh, on the book of John. And so uh, this it's a privilege to kind of be uh, a part of that, uh, a little bit of a part of it. But I want to start with this word, that's true the greatest argument for the historicity of the resurrection of jesus is the response of his followers after the crucifixion the greatest argument for the historicity of the resurrection of jesus is the response of his father of his followers after the crucifixion and that's what we're that's where we are in the book of John is after the resurrection and there's two things that I want to note here that this morning we're all coming in faith and we all share our faith together it's so important to us in that and sharing what we see the uh, disciples do in scripture is uh, it helps us and it encourages us with that but there's two things I want to make a note of and that's these these two things the first is that the cross and the empty tomb are not self-interpreting The cross and the empty tomb are not self-interpreting. There is no need for, there is a need for further clarity from the risen Lord or the Holy Spirit for anyone to put their faith in Jesus Christ in order to believe. That's, it's so important that we look at that and we uh, fold that into the message this morning because um, The cross and the empty tomb uh, need additional instruction by the Lord, by the Holy Spirit, to be able to call us all to be followers of him. Not just the disciples, but it takes more. But there were um, events that particular day that are important for us to remember. And there's, for example, there's five events on uh, Easter Sunday, Jesus coming to the women at the tomb, Matthew 28, to Mary Magdalene, John 19, the two men on the road to Emmaus, Luke 24, an appearance to Peter. The details there are unrecorded, but it's in First Corinthians 15 and then to the 10, what we're going to see today. These are uh, stories. These are um, uh, these were initially dismissed as idle talk when the first witnesses reported them. Those that had not seen Jesus refused point blank to accept the stories. All the disciples seemed to be somewhat skeptical of what others saw on the, uh, that evening or throughout that day into the evening. And only the plainest evidence could convince a skeptic like Thomas. If you haven't guessed by now, Thomas is going to be our focal person in the gospel record this morning. There are five more encounters after these, Uh, and the first one is to Thomas, then the reinstatement of Peter, then there's the Great Commission, you know, where uh, Jesus saw his disciples on the hill, and he gave them the Great Commission, the appearance to the 500, James, the brother of Jesus, the ascension before Pentecost, and after that, the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. These stories, these people that are in the scriptures, uh, need uh, additional information that would help us to better understand what took place at particular time. And so, the risen Lord of the Holy Spirit, uh, uh, making us, speaks to our hearts uh, and allows us to uh, take these stories and and be able to internalize them. The second thing to note is this, that there seems to be a great motivational power that comes with the resurrection appearances. These are not only convincing, but they're invigorating. The greatest skeptics become convinced. Enemies of Jesus become followers. Deniers are turned into the most vocal of advocates, those huddled in the room for fear that others uh, move out proclaiming the life of Jesus and uh, somewhat fearfully begin to speak on his behalf. In other words, something happens in these appearances that is transformative. I mean... What else would you call five hundred people that meet with our risen Savior and come to him? And that's what happened to Jesus when he met with five hundred and they came to know him. In this transform in this it is this transformation, the movement from despair to hope, skepticism to open-mindedness to conviction. From huddled doubt to belief in a proclamation that occupies our thoughts this morning that we're going to find out even more about what happened that day after Jesus came back from the resurrection and made himself unknown and appearing to others. In our passage today, there's two appearances of the risen Jesus to one at the gathering when Thomas was not there, and then there was one there a week later when Thomas was there. We're going to briefly look at the first, but mostly to set the stage for the second, and then from that point on, we're going to let Thomas drive the rest of our message this morning. So please open your Bibles to John chapter 20, verse 19 and 20, and we're going to look at a few scriptures here and there. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his sides. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. The first day of the week there tells us that this is the evening of that first Easter uh, where Jesus meets with his disciples. He's in a room, and the room has the door locked, probably the the word door there is plural, so it's probably a door from the outside and then a door from the inside uh, uh, out. And um, they, they shut it up and locked it because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. The leaders might become, be, come after them. They gave up or they came to take Jesus and bring him to the cross And so they were then probably next on the list of those who would uh, then um, be sacrificed uh, along with Jesus. And it's an interesting group here, these disciples. It's it's a hodgepodge, no-name group, a few Galilean fishermen, at least four of them. A uh, former tax collector, a failed zealot, and some other also Rans, and there they were in the house of uh, in Jerusalem, and the doors were locked. And Jesus came and stood in their midst. Gosh, wouldn't you have wanted to be there? I mean, the guys are 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 there, and they're they're. They're, some of them, their hearts are breaking. Some of them have heard these stories uh, that Jesus was alive, but they haven't seen him. There, And all of a sudden, he comes in. He, maybe he came through the door. Maybe he came through just the wall. But he came in, into their presence. Of course, they're going to be. They're going to rejoice. They're going to be thrilled to hear the Savior, to see the Savior, and then to hear from him again. A point, uh, an important point here is that with closed doors, Jesus is not limited to what he can do. Neither does a scared, huddled group of followers limit The risen Jesus. Yeah? Thank you. Absolutely. Peace be with you was the first thing Jesus says. And there's three pronouncements of peace here. And we're going to be looking at the other ones in a minute but but he comes in and basically he shows them himself and gives them his peace would you want anything else from the savior you've been following for 3 years they they they've followed after him they've tried to make sense out of his wisdom and, and his sayings that were way beyond where they were at, trying to make heads or tails of it, trying to fi- wonder why others were following him so. And the first thing he does is, is, one of the first things he does is he comes and he speaks to them and he gives them his peace. Peace. Now, it doesn't show, it doesn't say in the scriptures why he showed his hands and his sides, but uh, there were his wounds and that were a re- result of the crucifixion, and certainly this would identify him for sure, because you'll remember when Jesus was on the cross, he looked terrible. He was uh, scourged, he was beat up on, he was bloodied. He had a a a uh, crown of thorns that caused him to 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 uh, uh, bleed. He looked terrible, but they, were, they they identified him as the same Jesus they had followed him and had died and had been reported to them as been risen. And whatever the purpose was, in terms of showing these wounds, the result caused them to rejoice. The ESV says they were glad. The CEB says they were filled with joy, the NIV says they were overjoyed. Grief and anxiety had become Relief and relief turned into real joy. John 1620. Mourning, M O U R N, Mourning had been turned into dancing. And so the disciples began to gather and rejoice in their gathering. Except for one. Thomas. Verses twenty four and twenty-five says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was called the twin. He was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord, but he said to them, Unless I see his hands and uh, excuse me, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and the place my finger and into the mark of his nails and place my hand into a side I won't believe. Mark, I'm Thomas. Thomas. You know about Thomas? He's, his moniker is what? Doubting Thomas. He doubted. We're going to talk about that in just, just a second, but hold on. In the four four Gospels, he's mentioned, all four Gospels, And then you'll recall that when Lazarus died and Jesus didn't come, and then he did come, uh, uh, and by that time Lazarus had died, Uh, this is chapter 11 of John, it was Thomas who pipes up and says, let's all go that we might die with him. Where did that come from? Thomas. He's uh, he might be the sarcastic di- disciple, maybe the brooding disciple. Uh, in in one book I looked, and he was called the disciple disciple Noir, French, uh, the dark disciple. Um, and finally, the last thing we'll say about Thomas here in this, at this point is that he was a twin. Now, we don't necessarily know what that is. The word for, uh, in Aramaic means twin. The word uh, in Hebrew for his name is ta'om, which also means twin. And then there is in the Greek the... Uh, uh, the uh, uh, econ- economic language of the traveler, of the, of the um, people that sale, sell things. there he was called Didymus. Uh, it was his nickname, but, but we don't know whether he had another brother or sister. Uh, we don't know anything more about him being a twin. He was not present when Jesus appeared to the other ten, and there's no reason given why he should have been. But when Thomas is told that they have seen Jesus, he is unconvinced. And when they kept telling him that they've seen Jesus or he came and visited them, uh, they were... The language in the Greek is an imperfect, which means they kept telling him that um, they had seen Jesus. But Thomas is an interesting guy because he demands visual and tactile or hands-on evidence as proof. The language is graphic and the language is emphatic. Unless I see His hands, in his hands, the holes left by the nails and stick or thrust my fingers into those holes and stick or my, and thrust my hand into his side. Hear the graphic nature of his language. Uh, See the marks left by the nails. He then witnessed the spear uh, in the side as well, the proof of death, certainly I will not believe, he says very emphatically. In fact, in the Greek, it is probably the, the most negative of Greek phrases in the New Testament. And no doubt that his words, which were included demands or included uh, uh, severe emphasis, etc., uh, gave him his earned moniker. And you know what it is, and that's Doubting Thomas. But let's let's give Thomas a little bit more room here he was shocked by the tragedy of the crucifixion, that he could not imagine the consequences of being separated from it. The practice of crucifixion was a grueling spectacle. You heard Pastor Craig uh, teach us on that at Easter time. It was a prolonged, slow, shaming, agonizing death. It was meant to impress the dominance of the state of Rome on an unruly population, as you watched this prolonged death, you would have to fight the impulse to want to take down the person that was up on the cross. You would you would have to come to grips with the whole power of who has life and death over the people of Israel. And of course the answer is Rome in those years. And the evidence would be burned into your conscience by that dramatic spectacle that you'd want to turn away because you can't. You can't look at it anymore. It's so, it's, it's so terrible. Let's face it, Thomas certainly is preoccupied in this portion of, uh, um, as it gets relayed, to John, this portion of the wounds of Jesus. He saw them beat him, scourge him. He saw Christ's blood. He watched him carry his cross down. He watched them hammer in the nails. He heard the cries for three hours. To Thomas, the Romans are as brutal as he thought. They're as a corrupt as he thought. He had lived his life with these Roman thugs, corrupt leaders. Any change in our nation or in our society, any inbreaking of God's kingdom, any hope that God would fill Thomas' heart with hope and joy was beaten down, just remembering what took place that day upon the cross. He spent the last three years hoping and following and listening and being stirred and being overjoyed when he followed Jesus through the crowds and and listened to his teaching, things he's never heard before in his life. And this then was being stirred in the last three days, coming to grips with it all All over again. Verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. This is eight days later, and we have a similar scene as before, the week before it. But this time Thomas is with them, and Jesus, unhindered by locked doors, gave his customary greeting, the pronouncement of peace, this time the third one, and then Jesus turns to Thomas. Now, I don't know about you, but the minute Jesus turned around and turned looking at me, Thomas, Thomas, There'd be some knees knocking together. There'd be some shaking going on. And I don't mean a whole lot of shaking going on. But there'd be enough that my Savior's there. He's there. It's just like these these guys said all along. Then Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And we earlier said that no one else in the New Testament demands such tactical, concrete evidence as Thomas does. But at the same time, we get no other confession from anyone other than the gosp- from the Gospels. And we get because in verse 28, the next one, Thomas looks at him and he says, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. The highest estimation of Jesus we see in the Gospels becomes the standard of theological belief. So, what do we make out of Thomas and his skepticism, his doubt, and his demandingness? First of all, we note that the disciples, the guys that he walked with, his friends, That they were there through his doubt and skepticism for eight days. We see that first off. What were those days like? (sighs) Thomas, we saw him. He's alive. I'm telling you. I just don't believe it. I'm telling you. We saw him. He was in this room right here where we are now. I don't care what you say. I don't believe it. And back and forth and, and and back and forth. We note that Jesus is not to put out by Thomas's skepticism or his demands. Instead, he engages Thomas in his doubt and in his skepticism. He would also put idea, fourth, the idea that Jesus continues to engage doubters and skeptics. He makes this statement in verse 29. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen it, and yet they've believed. You know that, you know what he's saying there, what Jesus is saying? He's not jumping all over Thomas. He's, he's given them a lot of latitude here. He said, okay, you, you saw me, you walked with me, you learned from me, but blessed are those who have learned and they haven't got a chance to walk with, got a chance to be with, I've got a chance to do with this offer of peace comes from our risen Lord. Now, let me come back to our refrain of Jesus. This is the three times that he says, Peace be with you. Literally, peace to you shalom lekha for the jewish man to pronounce shalom upon a group a home or a person he's not simply a customary it, it's not simply a customary greeting the idea of shalom carries with it much much more it's a sense of blessing acceptance wholeness wellness relational restoration we don't really have an english word for it but yet i know that some of you've gotten it you, you you've grasped it because when pastor craig tells us at the end of our time together on sunday mornings he asks us to um hear The benediction and when he does we stand for the benediction and i notice that i look around and i notice that some have got their hands up like this and they want to receive what's being said what's being shared they want to uh, receive that blessing that acceptance that wholeness that wellness that relational restoration that comes with the scriptures that's in the Bible. And three times in seven verses Jesus then says, peace to you. The disciples filled with the fear huddled in a room scared of the risen Christ. They had abandoned him yet a dead man now stands before them haunting him. They may have been expecting a a rebuke, but he offers peace to them. He offers them peace. He knows they're cowering in that room, but he offers peace. Afraid of their enemies, surrounded them. Uh, surrounding them, Jesus will send them out, but not before pronouncing peace to you, and new life, into them with the Holy Spirit. In verse twenty-one, he sends. He it's a sending out. He does, but he sends them out, the disciples out, with their peace, that passes all understanding. The skeptical and despairing Thomas. The hostile, this hostile, graphic, emphatic Thomas. I will not believe unless I thrust my finger and hand into the wounds, Thomas. Peace. Peace, Thomas. Easy. Peace. Peace. Receive the Spirit of God. Peace. Receive his blessings, his encouragements, his love. We all sit here this morning with different things on our minds, different experiences regarding Jesus' resurrection and what took place among his disciples afterwards. But the word for the day is... Peace. that's the word for today let me speak on behalf of Jesus if I may and say peace to you see my, my hands and my side blood has been spilled out so that yours won't have to be peace I have taken the worst I have brought you peace I am receiving you in peace with the prodigal son the errant boy returns home and the father's thrilled to receive him and the older Son comes in from the uh, field and there's the sound of a party and he asks the servant boy what has happened and the errant boy is received by the father safe and sound in peace and the elder brother is indignant because he knows that no punishment will take place for his brother if he has been received by his father in peace. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter five verse one, "Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ." We have peace with God because we are justified by Jesus Christ. We have peace. And in Philippians 4, 6, or 7, we read, Do not be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer, petition, present your request to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Anybody here today that needs their hearts and minds guarded by Christ Jesus. Seek him out for his peace. It's his peace is where that lies. We want Jesus today to confront our skepticism because then we'll receive peace. Let Jesus walk with you through your grief and grant you his peace. Let him walk with you through your deepest despair, and he receives you in peace. Let Jesus hear about all your anxieties as he receives you in peace. Let him confront your disbelief regarding things that can offer, that can be different than they are with his peace. Let him remind you of his wounds as he pronounces his peace over you. May the peace of the Lord turn your Thomas-filled life into one with his peace and understanding.